Now, Daniel chapter 3, it tells us two stories. The The first story, it tells us, is their own story. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, all the people that are mentioned here, all the different peoples and nations. And this time, in this event, it tells us this story and what it means. The other story is our own story. Yours and mine, all the people that we share this country and this world with, it tells us about the events of our own lives today and what that means. And so we'll see these two stories running parallel as we go through the chapter. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you the entire sermon in one sentence, all right? When the world gets together to do for itself what only Jesus can do, Christians call it out as fake and choose to look to the real King Jesus instead. Okay? Now, we could leave it there, but um, I think you'll forgive me if I go into a bit more detail. Let's look at this first part then. When the world gets together, when the world gets together. I want you to try and remember now, last time um, we were looking at Daniel chapter 2. And remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream with a statue, a great statue. Do you remember it? What was the head made of? Do you remember? Gold. A golden head. And what did that mean? The golden head was Nebuchadnezzar. It was Babylon. Do you remember Daniel gave that interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 38? He says, you are this head of gold. He says, Babylon is great. There's nothing like it in all the world. And when you're thinking about the succession of human kingdoms, it's all downhill from Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. It is the peak of human achievement. And so we have these remarkable words from Daniel in chapter 2 from verse 37. You, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, a power, strength, and glory, and so on. Now, for all of that uh, rather remarkable language, Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. He had a problem with his dream. What was his problem? Only the head was made of gold. As far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, it should all be gold. It should all be about Nebuchadnezzar. It should all be about Babylon. It should all be about the peak of human achievement. And so Nebuchadnezzar then decides to make this dream come true, but better. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, we read about this 90-foot golden idol, either made of gold, uh, made of gold, either uh, it is of his own God, or perhaps it's even himself. It could, it could have been either. And it's towering over this big plain, and it's gleaming in the sun, and all these crowds and crowds and crowds of people are all around it from all different corners of the world. And he calls in everyone. The world is getting together. The princes, the councillors, the AMs and the MPs, the presidents and the PMs, they're all there, united, gathered together around this idol. And over that hubbub of all those people was a beautiful symphony, the world's most fabulous orchestra, uniting them all in this one objective around this idol. 
It's quite easy, isn't it, to sense that optimistic effort in the repetition throughout the reading. You will have heard it, didn't you? All the different uh, the repetitions of all the different people that were there, all the different instruments, and it's this, and it's that, and it's this, and it's that. Just so over the top. Some of you might remember, it was before my time in the 1980s, there was a band called Spinal Tap. It's a nice name, isn't it? And they were famous for having these amplifiers that you could turn up, not just to 10, but all the way to 11. It was just over the top. And that's exactly what Daniel 3 is doing. It turns everything up to 11, almost quite literally, actually, in the Hebrew. There's lots of references to 11, 11, 11, over the top, 10 plus 1. It's just so exuberant. It's so full of effort, so full of energy. Humanity is getting together and working really hard to achieve great things for itself. Does that event remind you of anything? Some other event in the Bible that this sounds remarkably like? Various allusions through the chapter show us that Daniel had the Tower of Babel in mind when he was writing this chapter. A gathering of all peoples on the plain of Babylon. It's even the same place, which is quite interesting. A common language in that music that brings everyone together and a common objective, everyone was united to exalt themselves. Everyone was bowing down in worship to the monument of pride and human endeavour. Together we all say, we have made ourselves great. The name of the game is self-exaltation. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing in Babylon and the Tower of Babel and us today. Now, the Spirit of God has already revealed, hasn't he, in Daniel chapter 2, we saw it last time, and in other places in the Scriptures before, that Jesus, the Son of God, was coming to bring heaven on earth, to bring peace between God and men, to bring utopia. But Nebuchadnezzar says here, we don't. We don't really need Jesus, do we? Just like at Babel, we don't really need Jesus, God's man. We can exalt ourselves. And the world says it today, we don't need Jesus. We can get along without him. We can be great, we can be united, we could reach glory, we can exalt ourselves without Jesus. And all peoples, tribes, nations and languages in the world today, are united around that idol of human achievement. It is self-exaltation. Now, here's an interesting question. Are they wrong? Are we wrong when we say that we don't need Jesus? At first glance, it doesn't look like they are wrong. As a snapshot of history, it looks as though humanity really has peaked. This is the golden head, after all. They have shaken off the curse of Genesis 3 without Jesus. They have overcome the judgment of the Tower of Babel without Jesus. Today, God has scattered, but we have regathered. God gave languages, and we've overcome that. God has humbled us 
and we have climbed back up. God says that we need his son and we are busy making utopia without him. Barriers that come between us like religion and race and language and gender, we're all overcoming those ourselves without Jesus. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. Overcoming all the barriers, all of the consequences of the judgment of God upon our sin are being overcome ourselves. Does that sound familiar? Is that the world we live in today? Humanity is still smoking the same crack pipe today. We dream about our own grandeur. We dream about curable vaccines, peace on earth, the end of corruption and racism and violence. It's not overstating it, is it, to say that we are thinking about literally saving the world ourselves without the Lord Jesus. And sometimes... Just sometimes it seems as though we have made our dreams come true. The pay gap is down, equality is up, and all of the rest of it. All on our own, without Jesus, every day we achieve, we build, we advance. Now, we don't have time to go into it here, but Christians are not immune to this sort of thinking. I mean, look at Nebuchadnezzar here. He's not an atheist, is he? He believes that there is a God, but in his heart... He says, we don't need him. And there are many people in the world, and perhaps even in this room, who call Jesus king and saviour, but behave like they are, like we are. So that's the world getting together to make itself great. Now let's call it out as fake, shall we? That's what Christians are supposed to do. This is what Daniel 3 teaches. Let's call it out as fake, because that's what it is, isn't it? It's fake. It's phony. It's crowds and crowds and crowds of people in a fake, enforced unity. Enforced with threats, with power. They're all bowing down to a fake God, honoring the fake success of a fake utopia. It is make-believe. It is pretend. It's literally a setup. Did you hear that set up as we were going through the chapter time and time again? Set up, set up, set up. It was repeating it, wasn't it? In fact, you know, the, New, the Old Testament has a phrase for set up. And it uses it so many times. And 10% of all of the uses of the Old Testament of this phrase set up appear in this one page, this one chapter. Set up. It's all fake. I mean, where is it today? Where is Babylon? Where's Nebuchadnezzar? Where's this great idol that united the world? If any of it exists, it's dusty bits in museums, isn't it? You see, in Daniel chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is repeating himself. He says, without the Lord Jesus, there is no success. There is no exaltation of humanity. There is no glory. There is no overcoming judgment. And so that overinflated bubble, like our egos, is burst in 318, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, this is all fake. We're not bowing down to this fake God. Do you ever get the impression that this world is a bit of a setup, a bit fake? 
for all of its protests, its movements, its shows of solidarity on social media and whatever, has society ever really been this fragmented as it is today? The world is remaining in a Christless, fragmented mess, and the judgment of God that was given to us in Genesis 3 and Genesis 11 with Babel still stands. The myth of human success is a myth. Try as we might, and we really should, there will always be injustice and oppression. Jesus says so in Matthew 26. You see, until Jesus reigns, it really is impossible to eradicate slander and racism, phobias, hate and greed. Let's look at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego a bit more closely here then, because they uh, call out all this phony fakery and they testify to the reality of the kingship of God over all the earth. And in so doing, they model for us Jesus' people down the centuries, don't they? So let's have a look at them. They are under enormous pressure, aren't they? Huge pressure to bow down and toe the line from authority in verse 4. There's the king telling them to do it. Conformity in verse 7. That's a big one. The pressure of conformity to fall in line. And the pressure of intimidation in verse 6. Play along or you'll get fried. What would you do? Have you ever felt this sort of pressure Authority, conformity, intimidation, fall in line, sing from the same hymn sheet or you're done. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are tempted to fall in line, to exalt themselves and humanity without the Lord Jesus. But when they see the crowds bowing to a fake monument, to fake success, a fake temporary kingdom, they say, what's that? Is that your king? Are you united around that? Is that your God? Is this your kingdom and your glory? Is this your heaven on earth? All these people surrounded in a fake forced unity in the desert around this piece of gold. Is this all you can do? This is phony and fickle, they say. We're looking to King Jesus we're looking to God and his kingdom. We're looking for that kingdom which shall never be succeeded, which shall last forever and shine for eternity. We're looking for that one. The Lord Jesus, he, he is our glory. You know, this stand, it reminds us, doesn't it, that only the Lord Jesus can eradicate the judgment of God and the effects of sin in this world. Only he can do that. We can fake it, we can pretend our perfect Instagram lives are literally lived through fake filters, aren't they? It's not perfect and they're impossible to maintain. I don't know about you, but this one makes me laugh. You know how anti-aging creams have best before dates? It's all a big sham. We try our best to cover up the effects of God's judgment, but we fail. Now, from 318 onwards, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego burst this bubble and spoil this party by confessing uh, that they shall not bow down to this God, for they have an another God, a better God, Jesus arrives on the scene in the confession of Jesus' people, and he claims the limelight for the rest of the chapter as the real king. 
You see, until this point, everyone was distracted by self and by human achievement. Uh, And Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, what do you think you're doing? You don't exalt yourselves, thank you very much. I am the one who exalts you. You don't give yourselves a value and a purpose in this world trying to work out what you're worth. I am the one who tells you that you are more precious than you can possibly imagine in the sight of God. You don't earn yourselves a glory. I give it to you. You don't overcome the judgment of God yourself. You can't do that. I will do that for you. You don't build yourselves your own kingdom. I am the one who builds you a kingdom. I do that for you. What do you think you're doing? Looking after yourselves, blessing yourselves, settling for so little when I'm going to give you so much. To illustrate that, I want you to imagine now, if you've got any children or dependents or whatever, you can imagine them in your mind now. Imagine that you found out tonight, for the last however long, your child has been living a life of poverty, homeless, skipping meals, but they haven't told you, and they've been pretending that everything's okay. Wouldn't that make you furious with them? Because you love them so much, you want to give them all that you have, you'd say, what are you doing? I am the one who will feed you and clothe you and home you and love you to death. Why do you live like this? And this is what the Lord Jesus says as he sees us trying our hardest to fix ourselves, to wash away our own guilt, to save our world ourselves. He has come to do what we cannot do. While we are behaving like Nebuchadnezzar and his pals here, trying to make our humanness as godlike as possible and settling for pillars of gold... God becomes man for us and exalts our humanity by uniting it with God of heaven. While we are swallowing and spewing lies about what heaven on earth would look like, love and tolerance and all the rest of it, Jesus preaches the truth, the truth about the kingdom of God and spares us all the lies. For as long as we could only fake some sort of righteousness before God, Jesus really does obey the Father for us, to earn a righteousness for us. And after doing all of that, he rewrites the script. What did Nebuchadnezzar say? What did he say? He said, if you don't unite in this fake heaven, you'll die. I'll kill you. But the Lord Jesus has come and he has said to us in his gospel, if I don't die, you don't get the real heaven. You know, you and I and the rest of this world, we can only pretend, we can only act as though we can overcome the judgment of God on us and on our world for all of our sin. But when we consider Calvary, we see that the Son of God God in flesh himself walks into that fiery furnace of the Father's judgment and he actually swallows it up. He actually overcomes all of that judgment that is upon us. And if that isn't enough, 
the Lord Jesus is raised from the dead for us. He ascends for us into heaven and at this moment he sits for us besides our Father in heaven where he is building a kingdom for us. This is all of our wildest dreams as a human race coming true. All of our wildest dreams are more than we could ever possibly have imagined. The heights to which we aspire, all coming true in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not fake, but real. He has done and offers and made so much more than we could ever hope. And the Lord Jesus today sends his Holy Spirit onto his church And the Holy Spirit really unites us, really unites us. Not by force and intimidation and confirmation, but by infusing the love of God into each of our hearts, binding us together in Jesus Christ, and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the saints that have gone before us, and all of our brothers and sisters in all the world and in heaven, we all confess together, Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that is our unifying confession. That is our unifying confession that keeps us through the world, through all of its persecutions and through all of its consequences. It keeps us all of our life long until we have this sight as the Apostle John did in Revelation 7. He says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, not before in some desert around some piece of gold, but standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, that is the Lord Jesus, clothed with white robes, with palms in their hands, palm branches, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is a real utopia. That's the real glory. That's a real united kingdom centered around no idol, but around that worthy man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have him? Do you know him? Let me ask you that. You see, it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we are united to him. And we receive in him and from him and with him all of the glory that he has to give us. We are freed from the lies, freed from self, freed from this world, tied to him who is worth all of the worlds. Daniel 3 is just telling us what we already know deep down, isn't it? That the world that we live in today has always been united To do for itself, we do for ourselves what only Jesus can do for us. It's all so foolish and so fake. You know that S Club 7 song that I grew up with, Reach for the Stars. I think that's right, isn't it? Reach for the Stars. I mean, that's that's what humanity does. We reach for the stars and so far we've only been able to manage the moon. But the Lord Jesus offers us the highest heavens. Won't you take it from him? Don't settle for what Nebuchadnezzar did when the Lord Jesus offers us so much. All right, so what did we say that sentence was? When the world gathers together to do for itself what only Jesus can do, Christians call it out as fake and choose instead to look to Jesus. So let's look at that then, shall we? Looking to Jesus. 
You see, for Jesus' people, refusing to toe the line and, look, uh, and looking to Jesus, it has always meant treason against the state, hasn't it? Whether that's midwives in Egypt refusing to kill babies, or apostles refusing to stop preaching, or the early church refusing to worship Caesar, or even the modern church today refusing to water down the gospel, whatever it may be. Do you think it's possible to play along with the lies that are in the world without denying the truth about Jesus? Because we do not play along, because we cannot play along, because we are looking to Jesus alone, Christians are rejected. And we have always been tossed into various types of fires for calling it fake and allying to Jesus instead, the real king. Now, we don't know too much about that here and now, so we can ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when we meet them, because they knew a real fire. And they will tell us that even the wrath of this world is fake and passing. Even the wrath of this world has no power on us at all. Isn't that wonderful how he puts it at the end of chapter 3 there? That they came, all those people that were once gathered around the idol, they came around these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. You see, when the consequences of following after the Lord Jesus come upon us, we find that King Jesus is with us in the fire. Not waiting for us outside, not sending strength from heaven to sustain us, but he himself comes to us and stands with us by his Holy Spirit in the fire. Just as he promised in Isaiah 43, when you go through the flames, I will be with you. The Lord Jesus doesn't only suffer for us to overcome judgment, but he suffers with us to bear the trials of this life. Now, I did, did you? Did you smile when Nebuchadnezzar really put his foot in it in verse 15? He threatens to throw these Christians into the fire and he says, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? It's funny, isn't it? Boy, oh boy, he didn't know what was coming, did he? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they tell us that Jesus delivers from lies and fires in this world, and he bears them all with us. All right. Let's close with this century. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a decision to make on that day, a big one and a hard one. There was a lot of pressure on them to make a decision. And it's the same decision that has been given to us and to all Christians down the ages. A herald in the world calls out to us and tells us to bow down, to pretend, to exalt ourselves, to exalt humanity, and act as though we can make ourselves great. If we all comply, we can keep up the charade. So here are your options. Ready? You can stand up, call out this world's hubris as fake and call on the Lord Jesus, look to him as the real king. And what you will get is fire, rejection, resistance, ridicule, and you will get the Lord Jesus, the real king of kings.
Or you can bow down. You can play along, and what will happen is you'll get no fire. But neither will you get the Lord Jesus. What are you going to choose? It's a hard decision. To help you choose, let me give you two things, right? And we'll, we'll actually close with this, okay? Look at verse 26 for me of Daniel chapter 3 and tell me, what happens once Nebuchadnezzar sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looking to the Lord Jesus, going into that fire, standing with him, what happens there? He calls out to them and says, come out of the fire. Do you think that says something? He had to call them out of the furnace. Now, if you were in a furnace right now, wouldn't you be looking for the nearest exit? Be looking to get out of there as fast as you possibly could, especially if it was seven times hotter than usual. That's a bit overkill, wasn't it, really? They were in no hurry to get out. They had to be called out. Rather with the Lord Jesus in a furnace than in the palace of the king without him. Isn't that wonderful? Also, consider this. This is the second and the last thing. Look at verses 28 and 29. Look at Nebuchadnezzar's new song. He's singing quite a different tune here than he was at the beginning of the chapter, isn't he? He's saying that there is a God in heaven, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, the Lord Jesus, delivered his servants who trusted in him. What changed his tune? This great and mighty, best in the world, peak of human achievement, golden head, mega man, king of kings, admits defeat at the simple sight of Jesus standing with his people in the fire. Looking to Jesus means that the worst that the world has to throw at us becomes the very best thing for us because Jesus is there with us. Having our eyes fixed upon the Saviour means that this world and all of its wrath cannot overcome us. The best it can do is join us and confess that Jesus is Lord. So allow me to invite you this evening to, uh, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, turn away from this world and all of its fakery, all of its phony nonsense, all of this pipe dream to try and reach for heaven ourselves, the best we can make, all of its fruitless flailing. Forsake it all and yourself, all of this pretending, all of this nonsense that I can make myself great. Look with me instead to King Jesus. Have our eyes fixed on him and on his kingdom and he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He will give us freedom from the fakery of this world. He will give us a home in heaven that we cannot even dream how wonderful it is. He gives us a real righteousness, his own. He sets us free from guilt and makes us right with God. All of this is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So turn from the world, turn from yourself, and take him instead. Stand 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying, I'd rather be with him in a fire than in the world without him. Allow me to just read to you now a couple of verses from the book of Ephesians, and then I'll pray before we sing to close. These words come from Ephesians and chapter 2. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to us, who has become to us more than all of this world, more than all it can offer us. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for being so like this world so much of the time, aspiring to greatness ourselves, as if we can do all of this alone. We bless you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he knew no sin, was made sin for us, that we should be able to become the righteousness of God, that we should soar so much higher than we could ever have dreamed. We thank you for him, Father, who has made all of this difference to us and ask that each and every last one of us here this evening would be found in him, trusting in him, looking to him, waiting for him. Thank you, Lord God, for the gift of your Son to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.